Sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend just how much the Lord loves us. Difficult, difficult, difficult for us to comprehend. It's uh, kind of outside of our realm of comprehension. Someone say amen. And, uh, you know, that's understandable. I saw a t-shirt once that explains it very well. It said, there is a God and you are not him. <laughs> and so <laughs> I thought it was a great t-shirt. I meant to ask the person where they got it because I thought it was fantastic. Um, but uh, there is a God and you are not him. And, and, and because we're not him, it's sometimes difficult to comprehend, uh, you know, the infinite when we're kind of locked in time and space and little old me, right? But he has shed his love abroad in so many ways uh, throughout this world, through relationships and through uh, connections so that we can experience it in even increasing greater measure every day. Your relationship with God does not need to be stagnant. It also does not need to be void of emotion. You know, there's lots of people who tell you, you know, uh, we have to walk by faith and we don't walk by our emotions because emo you can't trust your heart and all of those things. There's a measure of truth to it. There is a measure of truth to it. But I'm glad that in my marriage there is emotion. How many are, how many are happy about that? All right, you know. I'm glad my wife didn't say to me on her wedding day, you know, I love you, and if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. And I'm happy that, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that there's more to it than that, and that it is a, a relationship filled with uh, uh, the heart being exchanged back and forth uh, continuously. And now that doesn't mean every day she wakes up and thinks that I'm, you know, Adonis and uh, all the rest of it, but... But it does mean that our hearts are engaged in that commitment and that walk and that God made us that way. Somebody say amen. amen. And so how is it then sometimes we slip over to talking about our faith and all of a sudden we think it should be this purely intellectual faith thing that we're walking out devoid of emotion? What a ridiculous notion. And uh, we read throughout the scriptures, especially the Psalms, how many know the heart was involved? Right? The heart was involved. And so I just throw that out for free this morning. It has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. But I gave away quite a few free ones last week, and uh, I had somebody actually come up after the sermon last week and told me I kicked their butt. So I, I, I you know, <laughs> I thought, well, I've never been told that before. They said it to me a little more graphically than that. But, um, you know, but that, that's, uh, that's good. I mean, I'm glad uh, that, you know, I can be accommodating and help people out that way. Praise the Lord. Well, today I want to talk about taking our church to the next level again, but I want to talk today about uh, preparing for battle, uh, preparing for battle. And uh, over the last few weeks, I've been talking about, uh, you know, the church and God's desire for the church and how there's a trend, as I've said, in modern Christianity to separate our personal journey with Christ from the local church. And it's completely unbiblical. You can't find that supported anywhere in Scripture. Uh, and God never intended for us to walk that way. Our, in fact, our faith can only be walked out in relationship. It's as we do it with other people that we're really expressing the love of Christ. And that there are a lot of dynamics that I mentioned that were fighting against us. There is, 50 years ago, we had uh, the nuclear family. Most homes had a mom and a dad, you know, 2.5 kids and a car in the garage, right? 
and lived in a house with a white picket fence and all the other stuff that the Cleavers would uh, show us on television. And most of you are too young to even know who the Cleavers are. My apologies. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and there was a prevailing church culture in society 50 years ago. Um, you know, you could ask anybody and they'd be able to tell you what denomination they were part of. That, well, I'm United or I'm Presbyterian or I'm, you know, a Baptist or whatever. And there was a prevailing church culture in society that just existed. And uh, that 50 years ago, uh, there was changes began in industry. But, but 50 years ago, many factories still were closed on Sundays. And uh, they would shut down operation and boot it back up again on Monday morning. Also, you had 50 years ago, retail shopping was never open on Sunday. Never. You might find a drugstore open on Sunday, uh, and there was usually one in every city, and they used to rotate which one would be open. Does anybody remember those days? Uh, you know, you might find one gas station open in the city, and, and that would be it. And I remember when we moved to Belleville uh, even 25 years or so ago, that was the case. I mean, there was, you couldn't find anything open in this town on Sunday. It was great. Uh, and then finally... There were virtually no family activities on Sunday. When I was a kid, all our hockey and everything was on Saturday. And uh, there was, like, Sunday was this day in which the culture and the society protected and, uh, and kept as a separate day, as a, a day to go to church and to be with your family, right? And today, we know that that does not really describe um, what our society looks like today. And I know that cuts into the ability of people to uh, make church life part of their life. But one of the most insidious, in fact, the most insidious reason uh, that people don't come to church, though, has nothing to do with any of those cultural changes. It has to do with discouragement. And many people get down in their struggle with the Lord. They get down in their life. They get down in, 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 in the relationships and all the rest of it. And we tend to pull away. We tend to separate ourselves from the body of Christ at that time. It could be because they're feeling ashamed because their faith doesn't seem to be working. It could be that uh, they're, they're feeling, uh, you know, beat down, oppressed because the enemy's been knocking out their door. But our, there's a tendency in, in, our, in our personalities many times to back away when we should be pressing in, right? And, uh, and that's great. That's an irony uh, because the enemy loves to use discouragement to separate people from the body when they need it the very, very most. So you never need uh, encouragement. You never need to be built up more than when you're discouraged. And the body of Christ has been put in your life for that purpose, and we tend to separate ourselves when we need it the most. So then we looked at this scripture. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And we're going to be looking at that scripture again today. We talked about the, the word forsaking. And egcata lepontes. Remember that word? Can everybody say egcata lepontes? Yeah, pretty good. You guys are doing pretty good. And uh, it's made up of three Greek words. Uh, egg, which is out. And kata, which is down. And lipo, or lepo, which is behind. And uh, how that, that, basically that word means that we're out and we're down and we're behind. That's where the enemy wants to keep you, is out, down, and behind. And when we are forsaking the Lord, we're pulling ourselves out, we're pulling ourselves down, and we are getting behind everyone else. Somebody say, that's not good. It's not good. And these were some of the, this was, I just thought I'd throw this up again because it was cute. These are just some of the things Satan says to you. And you, get, you can hear them all over town any given Sunday. Oh, just stay home from church today. 
You don't need to be with all those happy, rejoicing people. You don't need, need them. You can just sleep in. You can just read the Bible and pray at home. And like I said, how many of you have ever done that, honestly? Skip church and t- taken an hour and a half and read the Bible and prayed at home. You did not. Uh, and uh, just stay home by yourself and get some me time. I mean, these are the things. They're subtle, but they're things the enemy uses to separate us and to isolate us from the body of Christ. And you need to understand, church is the last place the devil wants you to go when you're feeling low. He does not want you to be here when you are feeling low. So don't forsake gathering together. Don't be left out, cast down, or fall behind. Go to church. That was last week. Now, this morning, I want to focus on the same verse. And uh, Hebrews uh, uh, 10, verses 23 to 25 again. And uh, I want us this morning, instead of looking at that word forsaking, I want us to look at the word exhorting. I want us to look at the word exhorting. So, Father, just help us today as we look at the Scripture again this morning. Father, and we see why God has purpose for us to be together with one another. And, Lord, what it is that you want to um, be able to bring us into a deeper relationship, a deeper life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this word exhorting that you see there, right? Not forsaking the gathering yourselves together, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. This is the word I want to look at this morning. And uh, this word exhorting is uh, the word parakaleo. Can everybody say that? Parakaleo. That's another cool Greek word, parakaleo. And, uh, you know, we, we get finished this series, you got, might all be speaking Greek, but uh, para means alongside. So it's a compound word, again, made up of two words. Para means alongside, and kaleo means to call or to beckon or to speak to someone. All right? So that's what this word is made up of. So when you put these words together, parakaleo is to come alongside a person, urging them, beseeching them, begging him or her to make some kind of correct decision. It's, it's about coming alongside of somebody and urging them, compelling them to go in the right direction rather than the wrong direction. All right? Does everybody follow that this morning? The ancient Greek world used this word uh, often in military circles. And uh, they would, uh, commander of his troops would use this word. He would exhort, he would parakaleo his troops before they went into battle. He would exhort them before they went into battle. He would encourage them. He'd build them up. He'd exhort them. He'd beseech them. He'd plead with them before they went into battle. And, uh, and he would do this by coming along, alongside them. So rather than uh, hiding from the war and from the reality of it, the commanding officer would come alongside them, kind of like um, how many have ever seen Gladiator, right? And you remember the first opening scene where Maximus, he, he, he gives a big speech to the men as, they, as they're about to go into battle. And uh, you remember that? And he's just, and, and so where is he? He's right there with them. Give them the speech about how they might wake up in Elysium, heaven, but, you know, uh, but we're going into battle and we're taking our, I mean, every guy's just like, oh, that's just one of the best scenes in all the movie, them right there. And uh, we get all riled up and something inside us jumps up and down and we go, that, that is a great metaphor for the kingdom. And, uh, but anyway, that, speech that he's giving, that, that exhortation is really what that word parakaleo means. It means to speak to the troops in that kind of a manner. <clears throat> does, you know, rather than ignore the dangers that are out there, you know, the officer comes alongside the troops and exhorts them, encourages them, begs them, pleads with them to stand tall, throw their shoulders back, look the enemy straight in the eye, face to face, and go into battle. 
A more modern picture for me was when I was reading Winston Churchill's biography. And uh, Winston Churchill was a remarkable man. Before he became the prime minister, England was getting it handed to them in the war. And uh, Chamberlain just had a hard time making decisions. He was, had a hard time, uh, you know, uh, giving confidence to the country that they could actually win this war. And then Winston Churchill came in the scene, and the old bulldog man, he, he just took this thing by the horns, and he helped turn the tide of the European theater of war. And uh, Churchill was a, uh, was a remarkable man because when the bombing raids were taking place in London, rather than hiding in his bunker, he would go up on the rooftop with the, where the anti-aircraft guns were and where all the men were, were trying to shoot down the bombers that were trying to you know, destroy London. And with cigar in hand or in the corner of his mouth, he'd walk among the men, tell them they're doing a good job, patting them on the back. Uh, probably had a whiskey in the other, knowing Churchill. But I mean, he'd just walking among them, encouraging them to go to it, to keep at it, don't give up. And the whole time, he could have been killed. That's parakaleo. That is, you know, speaking to someone while you come alongside them and encouraging them to, to stiffen up, to get ready for the battle. You can do this. You can do this, man. And the story's told how the men drew incredible courage from the fact that the commander-in-chief was up on the rooftop with them, exhorting them, while the bombs are falling all around them, he was up there. He didn't come up before the raid happened. As soon as the siren goes, oh, I got to go, boys, because I'm important. I got to go downstairs, and I got to get in the bunker. I got to hide. No, he was up on the rooftop in the middle of the, uh, the chaos and the noise, calming the troops down, telling them we will prevail. That's parakaleo. That's the picture that we have here in the Scripture. You need to ask yourself this morning, how many times in your life have you been picked up and set on your feet by someone who came alongside you and exhorted you, someone who practiced parakaleo, somebody who spoke into your life when you needed it the most? Somebody who, who you know, assured you, you can do this. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't lay down. Don't roll over. Don't give in to the enemy's lies and tactics. You can win. How many of you ever experienced that? I know I have. There have been people that have come alongside me and spoken to my life at that moment when I just felt like throwing in the towel. And, you know, and there they were. They, they called me up on the phone or they stopped by my house. Uh, you know, I remember one time I was a new Christian and, uh, and uh, my family were, were not very supportive of my decision to, to follow Christ. And so... Uh, you know, we would, we would uh, be doing hay in the summertime. And uh, so hay time, this is what hay time looked like in the Dowling household. So we would go out and, and pick up a load of hay in the field and bring it back to the, to, the, to the barn and pull up to the elevator. And then you'd throw the elevator. It was my job to go up in the mow. I was a poor guy. They'd torture it up there while I, where it's 130 degrees and you're putting the bales in place. And so, uh, and my dad's down on the, on the elevator throwing it with one of his buddies or whatever on the elevator. And and then when it was over, everybody, once you finish the load, yeah, everybody sits around and has a pint. So that's what the Dowling household was like. Don't look at me so shocked. I'm Irish Catholic, for crying out loud. So anyway, so we'd all sit down and have a pint. And then after I had the pint, you go out and do another load. And by the time you finish, you know, seven or eight loads, you can actually be having a really nice day. And uh, you forget just about how hard it is up in the mow and all the rest of it. But, you know, I had just come to the Lord, and I, I had been what we would call a, a weekend warrior, teenage alcoholic. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so I'm trying to lay that life down. I've cut that thing off in my life. And, and here's my own dad saying, you know, go up and get some pints and stuff and, and encouraging me to sit down and have a drink. And uh, 
I was mighty thirsty, and I was feeling pretty parched, and I was like, oh, Lord, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, uh, and I just said, Lord, I need some help. Because I, I know that for me, how many know uh, we're ever at that stage in your life where one drink is one too many and a thousand is not enough? Do you know what I mean? So that was the way I was at that stage of my life. I just couldn't handle the pressure. So I was like, Lord, I need help. And it was just like, I hadn't even finished saying that prayer. And within two minutes, a friend of mine from high school who was uh, in a similar situation as me, young Christian, serving the Lord, uh, but who didn't have the family support where he pulls up in his little red ladder, you know, does a brake slide and says, do you need any help? And I was like, thank you, Jesus. So he comes over and him and I started working. And then it was like, all it took was one person speaking encouraging to me, and we flipped it around. We're starting to be able to make fun of the old man because he's working way slower than us. And uh, we're, we're able to, you know, kind of chirp on him. How many know what chirping's like? We, you know, you do that in your household too. And we're just chirping at each other and about how they were slowing down and, we, you know, they needed to pick up the pace and everything else. And, and that strength kept me uh, in the battle. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? And, you know, we need someone to come alongside us at times and help us stay in the battle. Help us... Uh, stay in that place where we're not going to give up and we're not going to throw in the towel, but we're going to stay engaged. We're going to stay engaged. We're going we're to win the day. And I don't know about you, but so many times in my life I've had someone who's been there just when I needed them the most and exhorted me on to victory. And that's what we need. We're there to be uh, speaking to parakaleo, somebody on to victory. That's what God's called us to do, to come alongside them. And it's interesting, Jim didn't just phone me up, my friend. He actually showed up at my house, got up on the mound with me, and we started working together, and we came alongside me, and we had victory. Someone say amen. amen. Now, <clears throat> how many of you have ever watched uh, movies, and uh, you've seen this idea that you never leave anybody behind, military movies in particular. You know, a guy's wounded, and they'll go out, bullets flying all around and they'll drag the, bio, the guy out because it's like, we never leave anyone behind. Yeah, he's my brother. That's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, uh, and I think in the body of Christ, we need to have a leave none behind mentality. We have to have this mentality that we're not going to leave anybody behind. And a lot of times people check out because they're discouraged or they're struggling with sin or they're in a place in a valley of decision and uh, we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, so we back off. We leave, leave them alone at the very time when they need us the most. We need to parakaleo. We need to come alongside them. We need to exhort them. We need to encourage them. We need to, as the word even has an edge to, uh, to plead with them, to beg with them, to make that right choice, to make a right decision. We don't leave anyone behind. We don't leave anyone behind. Sadly, sadly, Many times this isn't our motto in the church. Instead of leave no one behind, our motto is kick them while they're down. How many know what I'm talking about? You ever been a recipient of that? I'm sure I have a couple times before in my life. Probably wasn't aware of it because most times people kick them when they're down, but they do it behind their back, if that makes any sense. You know, uh, we see a brother or sister going through a hard time, or maybe wrestling with sin or whatever, and, you know, we, we know what to do. We call all our friends and we pray for them after a 20-minute explanation of their situation, right? Am I making any sense to anybody? I think we call that gossip. Or we make sure that everyone who knows this person goes to our church understands that we don't condone their behavior. So we go out into the community and we make sure that they know that, well, you know, so-and-so goes to our church, but, but we, we're not like that. Hello? 
We make sure that we separate ourselves from them because the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. So we don't want to be seen with that person who's in, you know, any kind of a struggle, right? We show how prophetic we are. It's an opportunity to show how prophetic we are because we go around, we tell everybody, well, I'm not surprised because I knew that so-and-so had that problem, right? And then we go, I've just got such insight into these things. Help us, Jesus. You see, the truth of the matter is, all of that's just nonsense. We need to be people who say we're not going to leave them behind. You're too important. You're too important to God, but you're too important to us. We won't leave you behind. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're struggling, you should expect your phone to be ringing off the hook every day. You know, don't use it as an excuse and an opportunity here this morning to go, well, they never called me. <laughs> Instead, use it as an opportunity to ask yourself, how many times do I call others? The challenge is never to look at ourselves and say, well, someone wasn't there for me or they didn't do that for me. It's always like, well, what have I done for others? When you hear this, this isn't ammunition for you to, to feel justified in licking your wounds and cutting yourself off deeper. Instead, it's a challenge to get off the bench, get involved, and make sure that you are calling others to that life in Christ. You can do it. That you are practicing parakaleo with every person in the body of Christ that God puts on your heart. And if you'll get up in the morning and say, God, who should I speak to today? He'll put people on your heart. If you're open, if you're open, he'll do it. There's another way he does it. It's real practical. Another way he does it. And uh, the way he does it is by getting us actually to be at church. Oh, is he going to talk about that again? Well, attendance is pretty good this morning. I think it worked a lot well last week. You know, do it, do it this morning. We might even be able to double it again for next week. That would be awesome. But, uh, you know, we should paracaleo. And I have people say to me, well, well how, should, how do I do that? Well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, learn how to speak to one another, especially when that person might be struggling as an officer speaks of their troops. All right? Learn how to do that. Learn how to come alongside somebody work with them, and speak into their life. So that doesn't mean if you see somebody struggling, you put your Bible under your arm, you show up wherever they are, and then you just berate them for 25 minutes with the Word of God. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about if you know they're struggling, go over and, 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 and help them on some project they're doing, or, or have a cup of coffee with them, and listen to their story, and then speak words of encouragement to them. All right? Now, this is actually a little easier for men than it is for women. I'm just going to be honest. Now, oh, are you being sexist? No, I'm speaking generally here, okay? But generally speaking, women are better at empathy and men are better at exhorting, right? And uh, women want somebody to come along and empathize with them in their problem. Men want someone to come along and speak into their solution, right? And so naturally, men are just a little bit better at this, but it doesn't mean that men can't empathize and it doesn't mean that women can't exhort. We can learn from each other, right? We can learn from each other. And uh, we can learn, women can learn how to be better exhorters and men can learn how to be better empathizers. We can learn how to actually listen to the guy when he tells us his story rather than saying, dude, just buck up. Suck it up. 
Now, at the end of the day, guys like that. They like to be told to suck it up and get going. But sometimes it helps for us not to be just told to suck it up before we actually get off of our chest what it is that we're struggling with because sometimes if we don't get it off our chest, it's just going to come back a week later, a day later, an hour later, right? So we need to do both. But ladies, it's not just good to come along and say, oh, that must have really hurt your feelings. Wow, you must be really sad about that. And before you know it, you're more depressed than when you started. And, you know, you also have to hear, empathize, but then exhort them and say, you know what? I, 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 can, I hear what you're saying, and that was probably really painful. But guess what? I went through something like that a year ago, and I'm here today to tell you that we can win. Are you hearing me this morning? All right. So we should speak as a commanding officer to his troops. We should remind uh, them of others who have stood the same test and won. You can use your own life in illustration, or you can use other people's in illustration. But what you need to do is encourage somebody that you're not the only person that's been through this, right? The scripture, no, there is no temptation you're experiencing that isn't common to man, the Bible says. In other words, there, just about everything that you experience, somebody else somewhere has experienced it before, and they've found victory. And we need to encourage people on that. We need to remind them of the sweetness of victory. There is nothing greater than having defeated something and being able to walk in victory. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have ever had a financial breakthrough and you, you defeated the, the beast of debt or you defeated the, the, the beast of lack and you come up to the other side, man, it feels good. Or how many of you ever had some kind of a temptation, uh, a moral temptation in your life and when you defeat that thing and you come out the other side, oh, it feels so good. And, and you need to remind people, uh, Parakaleo is reminding people of the sweetness of victory of how awesome it feels to be on the winning side of something rather than on the losing end of something. And then we need to let them know that they're loved, that we'll never leave them behind because they're brothers, they're friends, they're fellow soldiers in Christ. We need, they need to know that. They need to know that even if they leave that conversation with you and they're determined to continue to walk in discouragement or the, to walk in, in temptation or sin, that we still will be there for them. They may cut us off, but we're not going to cut them off. Can I say that again? They may cut us off, but we're not going to cut them off. They may cut you off, but you don't cut them off. That's how it works. That's parakaleo. That's what it means to truly exhort biblically from Hebrews 10, 25. So let's take that verse now, this morning. Now that we've got two weeks of looking at this verse... And we've looked at forsaking, and we've looked at parakaleo, we've looked at exhorting. Let's, let's look at how this verse could be worded this morning. When you're feeling depressed, down and out, like a failure who is falling behind everyone else, that isn't the time to stay away from other believers, as some are in the habit of doing. There's last week. But rather, that's the very time that you need to come together exhorting, urging, beseeching, pleading with one another more and more every day so you can face your battles more bravely. Hebrews 10.25 could be worded like that, and, and, and that would be a real amplified version of the verse. But that would be very true to what those words mean, to what those words mean. Think of all the moments in your life when someone came alongside you to encourage you, when someone connected with you at church, prayed with you around the altar. Didn't it make a difference in your life? Didn't it help you? Didn't it encourage you? Didn't it build you up? So think back to those moments in your own life and 
when you came along somebody else to encourage them or connect with them, pray with them? Didn't that make a difference in their life? Let me ask you this. Do you know people today? Do you know someone today who's discouraged? Who's feeling defeated? Who feels like they have no hope? Do you know someone today who's, who's feeling like, I just can't win? Do you know someone today who's on the verge of making decisions that are negative or that will have a, a, a bad impact on their life or on their family? Do you know people like that? We all do. And if you do, you need to parakaleo with that person. You need to come alongside and you need to exhort them. You need to speak into their life. That's what God's called us to do in the body of Christ. Now, here's the rub of this. It's difficult to make that impact, to connect with other people, or to even be aware of their need when you cut yourself off from the body of Christ. It's difficult when you cut yourself off from the body of Christ. Isolation from the body hurts you, and it keeps you from being a blessing to others. It keeps you from blessing others. That's what it does. Isolation doesn't just hurt you, it hurts others. Because you're not there to bless them. You're not there to exhort them, to encourage them. You're not there to even be aware that they're not there. Does that make any sense? And, you know, when, when you say, well, it's, it's not like we can't do it outside of church. Absolutely you can do it outside of church. In fact, we need to be looking for opportunities to do it every day. But the bottom line is, is that if there's somebody in this city and they're wanting and they're curious about God, and in our Western culture, what's the first thing they think about doing? I think maybe I'll go to church and check it out on Sunday. Maybe that's the second thing to do. First thing they might be nowadays, they might go online and see what kind of things. But but they're gonna they're gonna want to find a group of people, maybe, and, and see if that is gonna fit into their life. Maybe that's somebody that lives near you. Maybe it's somebody that you went to school with or that you work with and they show up here and then you're not here. I'm just saying that the, 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 the number one connecting point in our culture is still church. And it's a good connecting point. It's, a, it's an awesome connecting point. It's a from the cradle to the grave connecting point. It's an opportunity for them to, to get into community and to be part of family. It's a healthy place. It's a challenging place. It's a growing place. It's a good place. And when we separate ourselves, it's not only us that gets hurt, it's all the people that we're not there to speak into that get hurt. Well, I'm not that valuable. Well, you may be to someone. Don't underestimate yourself. And you can change that by the way you look at it. <clears throat> Let me just put one more up here. That's why I've been challenging over the last few months to move from being a, uh, a consumer to an investor. That when we gather together with God's people and we live our lives out on a weekly basis, that we do so not just as consumers, and we need to, we're always going to be a consumer, right? We're always going to be taking in the Word of God, taking in blessings. That's not my point. My point is we still need to, there's still more. We need to move from a consumer to an investor. And we've been talking about this, but now I'm trying to get as practical as I possibly can with what that looks like in your life. And it looks like instead of me, we've got to move from me to we, right? 
It's so easy to get stuck on me. Our culture is so focused on me. Everything's about me, 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 me. In fact, uh, uh, Oprah had a great speech at the awards the other night, but the one thing I did notice that she said that kind of was, hmm, she said, we need to go out there and we need to tell, you need to tell your truth. Did you catch that? She didn't say we need to speak the truth. She said you need to speak your truth. Well, it's just, she was just talking about, you know, the, uh, the, the Me Too movement or whatever. No, no, no. Uh, if, you, if you tap into where society is going, that is the, the, the thinking today. It's your truth. Tell your truth. Because there is no objective truth as far as the world's concerned. But we know there is the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the Bible says. So we're not called to just tell our truth. We're called to tell the truth, right? It's not important that you tell your truth, although your story is important, but your story is part of the truth, that Jesus set me free. And so we need to move from it being about me, about my truth, about you know, all the stuff about me getting re- receiving, about me getting a word, about me getting prayed for, about me getting this or me getting that, and we need to make it about we. We come together so that we can be healthy, we can be powerful, we can be the church of Jesus Christ. It's about we. And when we make it about we, man, do we become powerful. Because we're always more powerful as we than me. The Bible says, you know, if one can turn a flight 100, then two, 10,000. Right? I mean, the reality is, is that the multiplication when we get together is extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. So we need to move from consumer to investor. We need to move from me to we. And we need to move from coming to receive to coming to give. And this is where this message gets lived out in brilliant technicolor. Is when we come together, we come together to give rather than to receive. That it becomes about giving. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm shopping for a church where I can find blah, 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 blah. Right? How many of you met people like that? I'm looking for a church that, where my family can get da-da-da-da-da or where I can have da-da-da-da. And, and, and the entire conversation is about me. It's about what I receive. I've not had very many people come to me and say, well, I came to your church because I was just looking for a place where I could pour my life out. I was looking for a place, Pastor, where I could invest. I was looking for a place uh, where I could give myself to another generation, so I chose Desert Stream. Man, when, when, when I, people start coming with, and I hear that out of their lips, I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Because it means right out of the gate, they understand that it's about giving. It's not about receiving. And let me say something in particular to those folks here this morning who are like me, and you're on the north side of 40. Jess last night was telling me, this, or this morning I should say, was telling me that last night it was awesome. There was 85 people, and there was only four old people there. Real adults. Yeah, there's only four real adults there. <laughs> and, and Barry's like, you do realize you're an adult too, but uh, this whole extended adolescent thing is becoming part of their nomenclature. But she was like, there was only four real adults there. And we were like, she goes, I mean people over 40. So there were, there were only four of us real adults there. Uh, but you know... <laughs> You know, and, and praise the Lord that, that there are so many not real adults there yet. But, uh, <laughs> but, but the point that I'm getting at, and I want to talk to those that are over 40 here this morning as I close, is that the older I get, the, 
more church becomes less about me and more about we. It's just like our spiritual journey should be almost identical to our life journey. When you're a little child, you don't know anything different than me, 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 right? And if you listen to a little child's language, it's all me, 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 me. And they're very in tune with their, their needs and their wants and their desires. And that's perfectly natural. But as they mature, they become more aware of those around them. And if you raise them properly and give them the right kind of conscientious training, they learn to be tuned into other people's needs as well. And spiritually, we're probably not much different. We come to Christ because usually we have a need. We didn't come to Christ to lay our life down to give. We usually come to Christ because we got a need and Jesus is the answer. But once you find that Jesus is the answer, he wants you to take you on a journey where you move from it being about me to where it's about we. And, and the older we get, the more this should be our, our attitude. That's why it's, it's always sad to me when I have people that finally reach that age where they have money and they have time and they have uh, something, they've matured, they have wisdom, they have stuff to give, and they leave because they don't like the music. That saddens my heart because I'm not here in the music. It's not important to me if the music is, is, is something I like. I don't care because my passion is that we help spread the gospel to another generation. When we started Desert Stream, the music was all the stuff I liked. Why? Because I was, I was 31. Uh, so it was, it was all about me and all the other me's that started the church together. We, we are all about our generation, but as we get older, we have, to, we have to take it and we have to translate it to another generation. And then you guys will have to do the same thing when you get into your 30s and 40s. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's not, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. It's my point. It's not about me anymore. It's not about me anymore. And if you're here this morning and, and you're in that category where you're over 40, I just want to challenge you, it's not about you anymore. Hello? It is about another generation. That doesn't mean you can't get blessed out of it. You will. You'll get, there's no greater blessing than seeing another generation, seeing your, the stuff you believe and the things that are important to you passed on to your children and your children's children. There's a, it's intoxicating. But please understand, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. It's about Tori and her friends. It's about encouraging this girl on her video blog on YouTube to, to just tell the truth, girl. Get out there and just do it. You know, it's about Matt and Jess and encouraging the, the worship out of that generation. It's about, you know, speaking in to, to younger lives and, and encouraging them. And it's about coming every Sunday with something in my heart that I can give to them. That's what it is. That's what it is. And in the midst of it all, I get to be blessed. I am here to do some parakaleo every day. That's what I exist for. And you know what? And they love us so much that every once in a while they probably slip in, you know, something. They say, here's an oldie. Let's dust this thing off and do it for Pastor Kevin this morning. And, and I just know they love me. But the reality is, is that I found that there's some incredible deep truth coming forth in the, in the music that's coming out today. And it's never been a more exciting time as a God is just bringing great revelation through a generation of young men and women that have a heart for God. So don't criticize it. Embrace it. Help tweak it. Sure, but celebrate it. Rejoice over it. The younger the church gets, the happier we should be. Amen? 
Don't be upset about the kids running around the front. You know, if they're going too fast, you can clothesline them. But, you know, uh, if uh, a... Just kidding. But, you know... (laughs) Just, you know... I, I love the fact that my grandkids drive by the building and they want to come to church. My word, what a terrible problem. Amen? What an awful problem to have as a, as a grandparent that the kids want to be there. Wow. Wow. So let's not sedate it so it becomes something that bores them out of their skull and they never want to be here. Uh, we can maybe direct some of that passion, you know, and that energy a little, and, but let's let them be kids. Right? Uh, if you're wondering why we do that, that's why. I don't have any deep theological verse for you. You know, there isn't a John 3.16 about kids running around the front of the church. Don't have one for you. Uh, it's just rooted in the desire for, to want to raise a generation that loves to enjoy the fam- their friends, their family, and the presence of God. That's it. No deeper than that. I've talked for 35 minutes now, and it's, I'm done. Let's stand together. I want you to read that verse, Hebrews 10, 25, uh, a few times over this week. In fact, maybe start every morning this week with Hebrews 10, 25. And, and when you see those two words, forsaken, forsaking, and then exhorting, think of those two Greek words, ekatalepontes and parakaleo. Think about how easy it is for people to feel out and down and behind. And how you can come alongside them and you can encourage and beseech and speak into their life. Ask God for who it is that he wants you to speak into, who he wants you to talk to, who he wants you to to encourage this week. Because you guys are the church. If you're waiting for us as pastors to, to do it all, I mean, seriously, just look around. An impossibility. An impossibility. The only way we can accomplish the kingdom of God is if we all do it together. It's the only way. It's the only way. We can only do it together. We can only do it as we. We can't do it any other way. Amen? Father, I just thank you for this house this morning. Thank you for all these lives that are here today, Lord, to be uh, exhorted. Uh, Father, as a a commander of troops today, I thank you for the privilege of exhorting them and encouraging them and beseeching them. Father, to, to, Lord, be able to get into the battle, to to, Father, ask you, Lord, who is it that you've called me to parakaleo this week, to encourage, to speak to, to beseech, to help direct them towards Christ. Father, we just thank you for the privilege of walking with you, and we honor you today, and we give you all praise and glory, because you alone are worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen.